and welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy Soltero. What's up, guys? The road to the 2026 World Cup has begun. Excuse me. The road <laughs> to the 2026 FIFA World Cup here in the USA has already fucking begun, bro. When I saw the schedule for it, I could not believe it, though. That's the thing. Me too, man. Because, dude, we're still just under three years away. There's so much time left. So it's crazy that we're already thinking about the road to the World Cup. But, hey, man, I'm here for it, especially when we get down to South America and, and these beautiful atmospheres. Yeah, South America forcing us to prepare <laughs> ourselves for the World Cup qualifiers. I mean, I was reading up, they advocated for this because they wanted to keep the same round-robin system that they've had in place since 1998 when it comes to the World Cup. They wanted to do it all over again. The only difference is this time around is that instead of four teams qualifying automatically, you have six teams. Six teams in Comebol qualifying out of 10 and one intercontinental playoff team. What's crazy, man, is something I just learned today upon reading and researching, the intercontinental playoffs man a new playoff system that's being put in place where we will have six teams play in a intercontinental playoff system to decide the final two teams that get to qualify into the world cup something that hasn't been done before because in the past it was just one-off games against another squad from maybe from the afc region right. or from Concacaf. but this time around it'll be almost like a mini tournament that happens the year prior i believe in the usa to prepare or almost showcase the preparation for the upcoming world cup Oh, so it's going to be in a neutral, or I guess neutral as in dress rehearsal yes. in the United States. Yeah, dress rehearsal, yes, is how it's oh. being advertised. Yeah, really interesting. Ah, damn it. Okay, because I actually really enjoyed the previous editions of the Intercontinentals in the sense that it was still home and away. Mm -hmm. I always really enjoyed that because I did think that played a really big part. Right. It was the final way that you could send your team off to the World Cup. Now they're going to have to travel pretty big distances yeah. to do it. That actually, honestly, Well, they did that last, the last World Cup. And with, I didn't know. like yeah, it. Yeah. I, I really didn't like it. So honestly, a little bummed by that. But obviously, at the end of the day, the right team will still qualify. Yeah. And so we have a really interesting Come Boy landscape that awaits us. Ten teams. Six of them vying for a World Cup qualification spot. I mean, here we fucking go, man. Like, dude, it's here. Dude. It's right off the bat, dude. Yeah, and can we actually talk about the format just very quickly? As you just we mentioned, they hadn't changed it since 1998. They advocated to keep it the exact same. And this just gets really interesting, man, because now 60% of Conmebol has automatic spot to the World Cup, and, <laughs> and a seventh team will still have a very good chance to join them. So only three teams, three, dude. three teams three. in this entire qualification cycle will not participate. So it's almost like just kind of play average and you're in. Yes. It's pretty much all you're required to do in Comembol. Now, obviously, that can still be tricky because, you know, you go on these crazy road games and the atmospheres can be very daunting. You don't want to go on like a three or four game losing streak because then at that point, maybe you start finding yourself in the mud and it can be a little hard to get out of that. You don't want to find yourself in that situation. But honestly, if you can just avoid any sort of strings of losses, you're probably yes. good. And... It gets really interesting because now it actually kind of changes my viewing experience when it comes to this long haul that is the South American World Cup qualification. It's almost like a, it's like a league. It's like the Prem. 
It really is. Like, at a certain point, these teams are kind of just battling each other for practice for the World Cup, not just qualification. That's what I get more so out of this with the expansion of the teams. Obviously, it was already kind of like that since four teams and then an extra fifth spot joined them. But now since with the now with the extra added teams, it really is more so just a league where there's no real consequences if you finish in the middle or even closer to the bottom. It's pretty interesting, honestly. Yeah, dude, I, I think a lot of people are undermining the new approach to Comebol qualifying because, dude, a team like Argentina, they can play their B team the entire tournament and they'll be absolutely fine, dude. That's crazy, but they could. The conversation now is... We're, the, the the battle between fourth place and seventh place. That's what the, that's what this becomes. Rather than like you know the the top teams going at it, showcasing who's best in the region. That third place was such a a big conversation. Who gets third and fourth place, and then you barely sneaking in at fifth place. It it was so much more tighter. It was so much more. There was so much more meaning behind every single match. But now I, I, my interest is dropping a little because. Absolutely. I just don't think these games mean as much because it's it's a conversation about what three teams don't make it rather than what four teams manage to pull it off and get through by qualifying out of this region. I think overall it's going to make for a really interesting approach to Comebol. Still though, the matchups are going to be amazing. The scenes we're going to see are going to be incredible with these South American fans coming out. But it's just very weird trying to adapt to this new system because yeah. so much of Comebol was about how much each game meant and the pressure and the and the situations that these teams would find themselves in going away from home and you know really needing these points. Now, if you're just pretty good or if you're average in Comebol, you're probably going to make it through, man, because when I look at the teams, when I rank these teams 1 to 10, I do think there's two pretty obvious picks for who's not going to qualify. Dude, I have the exact same analysis is I actually looked at who's not going to make it and that's it because that's it. everyone else is in. Yeah. And I'm with you on these two picks, Venezuela and Bolivia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> which, 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 how one it have, which one do you have in last? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Bolivia in last. Yeah. I'm not, not to say that they're going to be absolute ass, but yeah, they're going to finish last in Bro, this qualification. They start cycle. off facing off against Brazil and Argentina. No way. They have to uh, take this month right the, now. This fixture, yes, All right, bro. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Like they're done. Yeah. Dude. They, they're taking such a massive hit right off the bat. Venezuela, I think, has a little bit more. But when I look at Bolivia's squad, man, it, it's just a team that right now hasn't even begun their transition period. They are stuck right now. There's not an influx of really exciting young talent that's there to lift them and kind of excite the fans into hoping that something more can happen. It's a pretty stale environment right now in Bolivia. And I, I do think, obviously, the impact of them hosting games in a very tough venue to visit in Bolivia will actually help them and be a blessing in this situation. But overall, at the end of the day, a team in Bolivia, I do not see thriving in this situation, and I have them finishing in 10th place in Comebol. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And then right above them, I have Venezuela, Same. but for similar reasons. I think both Venezuela and Bolivia, well, they do have decent talent, and they have players that do compete at a high level within Comebol, you know, competing in the Sudamericana and Copa Libertadores. Yeah. But I just think when you look at the talent that they have to face, 
it gets really, really tough for them. And again, it's not to say that Venezuela and Bolivia don't have talented players. It's just that their opposition is so much better than them on average. So yeah, I just find it very, very difficult to see any sort of permutation where Venezuela or Bolivia get through. Tough, man. Tough. So for me, the exciting part of this region is, like I said, that fourth to seventh place spot in the table. Who ends up getting that? I'm going to say the teams that I think are going to be vying for those spots, and I want to know if you agree with me or if there's a team that I'm missing. Sure. For me, it comes down to Paraguay, Chile, and Peru. Which team <laughs> ends up in seventh going to the intercontinental playoffs, and which two teams from these three end up going through automatically? Yeah, and, or, and which team gets the eighth spot and doesn't go through? Yes, yes, right. my fault. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. 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 And I have the exact same Good. three teams. Good. Chile, Paraguay, and Peru, I think, will fight to not get that last eighth spot and not qualify and try and at least yeah. get the seventh spot. I think it will be between those three teams. And it's mainly because I think they're all in pretty similar situations. Peru and Chile more so, right? And I'll start with those. I agree. Yeah. These two teams need to transition, right? They had, well, Chile specifically, had a golden generation that finally died out in this last yes. qualification cycle. Buried. Buried. So now, <laughs> so now it's time for them to rebirth. And when you look at the squad selections under um, Berizzo, the Argentine, it's a mixture of a little bit of that old guard still, to be honest. I know Sanchez got called up, Garimadel, for example. And I think those are good characters that still have in the squad. But most of the other players are pretty new, and they, they kind of need to be. Mm -hmm. Arangui's obviously one of the other veterans that's still getting called up. But Chile really needs to really think about the next, like, not even just three, four years. I'm, I'm talking like five, six, seven years, because whereas they were so good for the last 10 years, what has been left for them not good. Mm -hmm. So now they really need to think about letting go of that old guard and now moving forward with an entirely new generation. And I can pretty much say the exact same thing, just to a lesser degree, about Peru. Even under Reynoso, bro? <laughs> the fellow Peruvian yeah. ex-Puebla coach. Yeah, man. Even under a Reynoso, man. You don't think a Reynoso can lead them past the qualification cycle, bro? Juan Reynoso, man. I like his coaching style 100%. It's pretty offensive, which I think goes very well with Peru, but I, I, I just think it's pretty tough to replicate the heights that Peru reached between like 2015 and 2018. Gareca. Yeah. Gareca, man. Yeah, man. The, the, I'll just go and say the greatest Peruvian coach of all time. <laughs> yeah, I think like, you're good. Oh, come on. I think you're good on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that it's so hard to replicate something like that. And very similar to Chile, they still have some old guard being called up. Paolo Guerrero, el capitan. Still? Still getting called up right now at 39 years of age, which is really interesting. I know he's doing good things in Ecuador. Yes, sir. And there's other examples of that too, but they too have to look to the future with a new generation. And similar to Chile, I just don't see it being as strong. But they have, that's all they have, right? So they have to focus on it and try to find a winning formula with what is at their disposal. Yeah, man. When it comes to Chile, this one really disappoints me because I was looking at the lista de convocados, the people that were called up. And I was hoping that a guy like Diego Valdez was like 22 years old. Mm. 29 years yeah, old, Yeah, he's at the end of his prime. Damn, dude. Like, there's, there, there's very little optimism within this nation that would make me or lead me to believe that they will be able to make it and qualify out of this region. 
it concerns me, bro, because relying on these old aging stars right now with really little to no influx of young talent, it might be enough. It might be enough, given that they have seven out of ten spots available for the World Cup. It might be enough. But I get very, very concerned when I ask the question, what team concerns me the most in Comebol going into this cycle? I do think it's Chile, man. Yeah. I think it's Chile more than Peru because I think an aspect of Peru that has always stood out to me is their fight. I think that South American heart is very well represented within Peru. They always find a way, despite the talent that they have, to just play with a different type of force that other teams don't tend to have when they're going in through like down stages like how Peru is going through right now. There's a pride. There's an energy in the team that even if you don't have the best players, you'll still go out there and try your absolute fucking best to try to compete in a match. Will they end up getting positive results? Probably not. But maybe, just maybe, they can do just enough to be able to stay in contention or qualifying out of this region. So for me, I actually have Peru just one spot above Chile. But I do think Chile ends up being the team that I'm most worried about going into this cycle. That's what's so interesting about this new format's dynamic is that while I do agree with your concerns about Chile, honestly, spot on, I don't see much prospect promising prospect when it comes to this Chilean squad. And yes, even Peru, even though maybe they do have a little bit more fight. But here's what's really interesting. They have to only aim for mid-table. And they're in. Automatically. And that's what I was kind of trying to say at the beginning is that I think not only as fans can we approach our viewing experience differently, the players, the coaches, and these national teams can approach this qualification cycle completely differently. Because honestly, if I was in charge of the Chilean or Peruvian national teams, I would have a much bigger focus on cohesion and chemistry rather than results. Because in all the past qualification cycles, man, I'd be, yeah. I'd be stressed yeah. out if I didn't have three points after like two games, I would be stressed out. But now you can actually lose more and qualify automatically than you could in the past. Yeah, it's about, it's about getting victories against Venezuela and Bolivia. You can't lose those games. Can't lose those. But then when you face like Argentina and Brazil, it's just like, boys, don't let more than two goals in now. Yeah. You know, keep that goal difference down. Right. Outside of that, I'm open to losing. Exactly. And I'm open to actually kind of and, and I'm open to playing a better game within ourselves and just improving on what yeah. we have. And then from there, we build our chemistry. We build up that, that little give and go, the passing. Whatever we can build on, that's what I would focus on because, you know, if, if I'm in charge of Paraguay, for example, I know we don't have the talent, at least in comparison to Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, Ecuador, for example. But what I do know is that we have more margin to lose. Yeah. So that means we don't have to focus on winning so much much and i actually think it could help these struggling teams like peru chile and paraguay so then who do you have in that seventh or eighth spot <sighs> yeah <clears throat> is it chile or is it peru this is really really <laughs> tough man this i'm going is, chile on this one brother you're going chile? I'm, i think i'm gonna go chile yeah i'm not gonna count on chile i don't think i can uh i want to put paraguay in there but whoa 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 yeah whoa. yeah yeah, yeah. But I want to put Paraguay in there. But at the same time, I wish I could see a couple games. Yeah. And you, you know? can. And I can. <laughs> so let's revisit this for we sure. Will. We will. But right now, I'm going to go. I'm actually going to go Peru. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Peru only because I just don't know if they have the offensive, any offensive components really anymore. 
That's my biggest worry about Peru. Whereas, like, I feel like Chile and Paraguay, if they can use their physicality, I think they can beat a team like Peru when it really matters. That's my only reasoning yeah. right now. But after four or five games of watching the qualification cycle, I'm sure it'll change. Yeah, Peru, yeah. I mean, Paraguay still has a guy like Miguel Amiron who can maybe do something surprising. Julio Enciso isn't playing this qualifying cycle because out with injury, but over three whole years, I could actually see him be a prominent part of that offensive line. Yeah. And for Chile, you still have Alexis Sanchez, who had a great year at Marseille last he year. He did. He could very well provide some offensive force. For Peru, I agree. There, there really isn't much now outside of you know Paulo Guerrero, who's a an aging man dude. That, that, that's the problem and and even when chile the reason why i back them over peru is honestly just because of their physicality and their numbers at the back you know a player like guillermo maripan for example mm. i think he can come in clutch for this team guillermo soto the fullback who plays in russia also very talented as well so i just see slightly better prospects for chile over peru so yeah i actually have peru not automatically qualifying or not qualifying at all I do, for me though, I do see a distinction between Chile, Peru, and then Paraguay. I think there's more, just slightly more excitement with this Paraguayan team. You got uh, Richard Sanchez in the midfield controlling the game. Always such a reliable DM for this squad and for America as well. Exciting talents in Almiron, as well as the fullbacks. Rojas, who's always been really good. I think he used to play for River Plate at one point. There's good talent on Paraguay. Not enough to infiltrate the top five, in my opinion, but yeah. I think to be like. A positive mid-table team, sixth or seventh place, that's where I have them at right now. If you're Paraguayan, I mean, you're looking forward to that, man, because the timing could not have been better. They were not very good last qualifying cycle, and that's my biggest concern is if that continues, if that trend just doesn't stop. And I'm hoping they can find a new breath of fresh air under Barros Esquiloto. And I do think they'll end up doing better this time around than what they did last qualifying cycle. But if anything, I think Paraguay will end up benefiting the most from this new format. Because a team that, they, they represent a team that wouldn't have made it through if they continue that same format. But with the new 17-16 format that they have now, they're going to get in, bro. And they're going to be at the World Cup here in the USA. Yes. And... My biggest thing for Paraguay is they need an entire mindset shift. You just laid out the talent that they do have, and it is pretty solid. It's good. Definitely good enough to qualify in this format. But, dude, they have been so poor for, I'd say, the last five years. And I mean poor, man. So much so that they're... Push yes, overs, they compete, bro. bro, but like you know you're not going to have a bad yes. time against Paraguay. <laughs> and that that sucks. That sucks if you're Paraguay knowing what they've done honestly in the recent past, even just, you know, add 10 years to that timeline and Paraguay were doing well in Copa America, making World Cups in 2010. So, what the Paraguayan team has now and the results that they've been giving their country has been so so bad so maybe Barros Queloto can unlock something a little bit different that past coaches haven't been able to man but that's my only problem with Paraguay is that they have a little bit of demons that they're gonna have to honestly yeah. uh, crush but hopefully they can do it man again like you said Enciso Almiron playing at a very high level that has to mean something but I think their chemistry just needs to raise tenfold yes Okay, so then that leaves us with five South American teams, and I'm going to rank them by the tiers that I set for them. I want to know if you agree with me. Mm. I see Argentina and Brazil in one tier. I then see Uruguay in its very own category. Following that, I see Colombia and Ecuador in the third tier. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I can entertain that. Okay. So when it comes to Colombia and Ecuador, this one I'm interested in. Where do you stand in your viewing of both these teams. Keep in mind, 
Ecuador is going into the qualifying cycle already down three points. <laughs> no, they have negative three points, bro. <laughs> Pretty uh, honestly bizarre to see on the table, but it makes sense. They falsified papers by Don Castillo. Can't be doing that shit. Can't be doing that shit. So I think three points, honestly, not that bad. Uh, like if you're Ecuadorian, you so? yeah. If you're Ecuadorian, it could have been like six. Yeah, could have been eight or nine. Three, not that bad. Yeah. So, but when it comes to Ecuador, Colombia, I'm gonna give Ecuador the edge off of their performances that they gave in the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Honestly, what I think held them back in that tournament wasn't their personnel; it was the coach, um, Alfaro, Gustavo yes. Alfaro, went so defensive in that game against Senegal, changing the formation. And I just completely disagree with it, yeah. considering how offensive they were in the first two matches, and they won both of them. Or actually, oh. sorry. And, and they got good results out of both of them, or at least played really, really good football, right? The Netherlands one was just a little unlucky. But I think Alfaro was the limiting factor. And now they have, I think, a little bit more of a progressive coach in Felix Sanchez, ex qatari boss. And I think hopefully he can fully realize the talent that Ecuador has, man. Because I think when you look at the town Ecuador, Colombia, it's I think a lot closer than people think, and so much so close. I think yeah. I think Ecuador might even have the more promising type of talents, in my opinion. And I think for those reasons, I actually give Ecuador the slight edge over Colombia. But you know, it gets finicky if Felix Sanchez isn't the coach. Ecuador have proven to be very inconsistent when things aren't working out. Uh, but I'm still going to give it to the talent that Ecuador have to actually be a slightly better team. Okay. I, I think the only reason I can't buy stock in Ecuador this time around, because I'm hearing a lot of people you know, really hype up this Ecuadorian team. And although they are very good in the midfield and defensively, my biggest concern with Ecuador is where do they get their goals, bro? Where? You have an aging Ener Valencia who probably won't be playing for them by the time the World Cup comes. He's doing very well right now for Internacional, but three years from now, will he be doing the same thing? I'm not going to rely on that. Outside of him, I mean, who else do you have offensively? My only counter to that is Colombia themselves. They proved that they, even with the offensive talents that they had last cycle, that they couldn't find the back of the net either. And so I think what actually meant more was the cohesion and the fluidity that Ecuador showed over their Colombian counterparts. That's why I still have Ecuador playing at a little higher level than Colombia. Even if they might not have these same offensive pieces, I think the way that they move the ball means a lot more and is way more dynamic than the way Colombia do it right now. Yeah, it makes sense. Bro, Colombia doesn't have a midfield. Like, at least Ecuador has a really good Wilmer. solid midfield and uh, defense to at least rely on to get up tie or maybe keep it, tie, you know, low scoring. Colombia, I remember that was a big part about their conversation was their inability to score goals in, like, seven straight matches. For a big part of it, Luis Diaz was injured. I remember he was out for a yeah, major yeah. part of the important part of the qualifying cycle. But you still have Sinisteta up there. James Rodriguez at Sao Paulo right now. Maybe he can do something for the Colombian team. He changes every time he puts on that jersey. I think there's a little bit more offensive impetus for Colombia. But ultimately, I think both of these teams are incredibly, incredibly close. And if this was a yeah. traditional uh, World Cup qualifying format, this would be the conversation. Is which of these two teams comes through. But because it's six, seven teams now... Uh, it's no question. I think both of them are going to go through. Yeah. And ultimately, I have Colombia over Ecuador only because of that negative three differential that they're starting off with. Okay, that, that's really fair. And, 
the reason why I'm not concerned about, let's say, Ecuador's lack of offensive pieces is because, dude, when I look at all of the opponents that are underneath them, not including the tiers above them, I mean, they don't have much else either, yeah, bro. They yeah. really don't. Chile don't have much of an offensive line. It's aging. Peru is the exact same. Paraguay, while they do have Enciso and Almiron, it hasn't proven anything, not at the national level yet. And so that's what we're waiting to see from Paraguay, is to see that potential unlocked. And then, well, you know, Venezuela and Bolivia. So compare those offensive pieces to Ecuador and Colombia. I think Ecuador and Colombia are way better off, bro. But isn't that kind of disappointing, bro? Because... The same excitement and almost pressure you put on CONCACAF teams because they are hosting a World Cup here in North America, in their home region. South America, outside of the top dogs, right, mm. doesn't have much to show when it comes to them having a World Cup here in the Americas, bro. A much bigger opportunity than what was presented in 2022 in Qatar. You would hope that South America would have something of, you know, or at least put some sort of pressure on them to be able to provide some really solid teams because this is a golden opportunity, man. There's a lot of Latin Americans and South Americans here in the States that will be pulling up to these games, bro. For any matchup between a South American team and a European team, we're going to see more South Americans. But we're talking about... Every team basically outside of Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay being somewhat underwhelming, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little sad, bro. I'm a little disappointed. I mean, if you really want to get into it, it's just down to infrastructure and football economies in any country not named Brazil or Argentina in <laughs> South America. It really is just down to that. Uh, the money's not really there in, for example, the Chilean, Peruvian, even Colombian league is not, not, that, not that great. Uh, so what really just drives football there is just pure, pure culture. Whereas Argentina, and especially Brazil, they get culture and also a little yeah. bit of economy and also just structure support. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think that's, that's one reason, you know, in, in a sea of millions of reasons why Coleman Bowl is maybe not doing as well as I think a lot of people want them to. But the football and culture still within that entire continent is enough to make any team in South America still one of the best teams, national teams in the world. That's why, man, I've always, I, I get so conflicted with South America because it's just not common to have such a big gap between the best teams and then the teams that follow that, man. Mm. It's Brazil, Argentina always, and then Uruguay if they want to get involved. And then after that, man, it's just such a massive dip, in my opinion, especially this time around, bro. We saw it last mm, qualifying cycle mm. with how Brazil and Argentina didn't lose a single game, dude. Crazy. That's 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 concerning, man. Yeah. Share share a little bit of that success, Argentina and Brazil, please, because <laughs> it's becoming too too easy for both of those squads to dominate the region. I want to see more from South America outside of those top two teams. That's ultimately what my whole point and I guess. Uh, motivation in this argument is I just want them to be better because they've been so notoriously known for developing such great talent and we see it in Europe but when it comes to developing a cohesive team at the international stage it's been disappointing bro ever since the 2014 World Cup which leads me to a very interesting question man you're a stockbroker all right uh. you decide what you want to invest yourself in on a daily basis a stock abbreviated URG pops up on your system <laughs> and you think to yourself, do I buy stock into this Uruguayan team? They're led now by Marco Bielsa, Bielsa Ball, Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani no longer called up to the team. Right. 
young talents in Darwin Núñez, Federico Valverde, a guy like Manuel Ugarte, Nicolás de la Cruz, Chema Jiménez. There's some names on this team. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, though, given how they performed at the 2022 FIFA World Cup, which we thought was very disappointing, are you buying stock in Uruguay? I think you kind of have to because of those names that represent themselves as Darwin Núñez and Federico Valverde. Those are absolute standouts, especially when you compare them to any other non-Argentine or Brazilian Comebol team. And I think that alone can, you know, really push you up into that upper echelon of Comebol right underneath Brazil and Argentina. I think Uruguay, despite not having the legends of Cavani and Luis Suarez, still play a very, very good game. And I'll just be very curious to see what Marcelo Bielsa does, man. It's a lot of goals to make up for, man. Yeah. Between Cavani and Suarez, can Nunez carry that load, man? But, but that, that's the thing is that you asked me the same question 10 years ago, I would say no. But the current state of Commonwealth, I'm going to say absolutely. Oh, oh here, yeah. That's, yeah. that's Maybe, the crazy yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You're right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm thinking more long-term, like, can they get past go, the group once they get to the World, World Cup, Cup and actually do something important? Because I thought they were so, so abysmal, ultimately, at the end of the day, with what they had to play with and what they ultimately end up, ended up doing, dude. Uruguay was a disappointment. And I want them to be able to do something of prominence at this upcoming World Cup. That, I think that's what more than I mean. Because, well, obviously, they've got that. They've got that in the bag. Oh, ab- absolutely. But that's also what gets really frustrating about this whole Comebol World Cup qualification cycle is that, yes, Uruguay can go on a really good run, but it can be very hard to really yeah. understand how good they are playing. That yeah. was my entire take last qualification cycle and why I thought Comebol had been on a very major decline and why they were no longer as competitive as they once were. It's because of that. Yes, you can look good within the continent themselves. As you just said, Brazil and Argentina going up. Not winless, Jesus. Brazil and Argentina going unbeaten. And Uruguay can honestly do something very, very similar. Not unbeaten, but they can go on a really good run of just winning or getting a lot of draws. But really, will it really mean anything if Chile can't find themselves, if Colombia go on another weird drought, if Peru cannot even manage to be what they were in 2018, if Paraguay can't unlock Miguel Almiron and Julio Enciso, then yeah, of course Uruguay's going to go on a really good oh, run, easy. and it's going to look amazing. So it gets really tricky when we try to analyze a lot of these Comebol teams, and it's what it's the trickiness and the difficulty that I managed to see a couple years ago, mm-hmm. right before 2022. Yeah, man, it's tough to learn anything, though, with this new format, man. Six teams going through. Yeah. Like, what can I take away truly from a team that gets through in third place? Like, yes, they're good, but uh, if I'm predicting it now and Uruguay ends up being there, what ultimately is my takeaway, man? It's tough because obviously Argentina and Brazil are going to dominate the region, but Uruguay has always been that third or fourth place team in this region. What else more is there to learn and to expect? I think it's just a matter of seeing the football that they play. If it's an organic, if it's a healthy style of yes. football that Bielsa can implement, then you can take something away. But if they're just kind of getting by and just beating the teams that they are obviously better than, there's just not much to learn. That's what ultimately is the most interesting thing about this team is the way and style that they play and why I'm so intrigued to see what Marco Bielsa can do at the international at the international level. Oh yeah, it's going to be really, really intriguing. And for Uruguay, it's exactly that. For them, I think their expectations has to be dominate. You have the talent, especially over most of Conmebol, so use it. 
go off. Because if you're just getting by winning 1-0, 2-1, and it's not really fully deserved, then yeah, you'll qualify easily, no problem. But you're going to struggle at the World Cup, just as we mm-hmm. saw last December. So for Uruguay, I think the expectation mm-hmm. needs to be dominate the matches. You should dominate. And then when you play against Argentina and Brazil, go toe-to-toe. Is Every there, time. Is there a chance they could end up in second or first in this group? I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I only what see... What if they do? Would that, would that mean something? It'd be, it, it would mean I everything. It would. It would mean it would. everything. For Uruguay to crack that top two, or honestly, even get within like a game at, yeah. the, at the end of it all. Yeah. If they're within three, four points, I'd actually be very that's, impressed. That's so, so, so I think that's how you honestly have to analyze this whole qualification mm-hmm. cycle. You, you got to go off to pure eye test. Results can't mean that much. No. no. All right. Here's the funnest question of them all. Who tops the table? I'm Who going Argentina. It? Dude, I kind of want to go Argentina too, I'm going man. Argentina, man. I just, I, I have, they're the best in the world right now. I think they're really, really good. My only qualm or concern is Brazil is notoriously known for dominating Gomebol standings, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like this is what they do best. Maybe not even performing at the World Cup at this point. <laughs> right, right. It's when it comes to this region and performing in the World Cup qualifiers, Brazil shows out, man. Whereas Argentina just does what they have to do. They get the job done and they get through in second place or in first. Yeah, even. dazzle but here and there. This time, though, I just I get so curious because of everything in the build-up to this qualifying cycle. Everything we've seen. Argentina winning the goddamn World Cup besting brazil in that process in the sense of just proving that there's more to be had in that country proving to be the better team the more formidable team in clutch situations argentina is the best team in the world right now why would i not pick them to be first in this group man and i think that's why i ultimately end up going with them winning it because i mean bro we got we got studs studs on this team and i think i have less questions and less concerns with Argentina because there's a fluidity there's a chemistry that they have right now that even though Brazil has quality players all around I don't think they've achieved the same level of chemistry despite that star status that they've had Argentina they can just insert players here and there and they still play the same exact way I like that way more and I I'm definitely going to rely on that much more than a Brazilian team that just has a bunch of stars right now. When you look at Argentina's midfield and offensive line, really the only question I would ask of Argentina over the next three years is, how are you ultimately going to place Di Maria, right? Mm -hmm. He still gets the call-up, but there's going to be a certain point where he just can't answer it anymore, right? He's getting way up there in age. The way that he plays really does rely on some form of pace, yeah. right? even even to this day. Get a flat tire, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's always that chance, especially the older that he gets. So that's my only question for Argentina. Like they've been able, to, they've managed to completely reinforce their midfield over the last two years with really young talent. And you still have a player like Lautaro Martinez, Julian Alvarez to spearhead your offense, and then Messi. He could play till he's 45 yeah, and still completely dominate on the pitch. So his position is golden as long as he wants to play. So Argentina is set completely set. They're the best team in the world right now. Yeah, I think my question is, who do they end up finding to pair alongside uh, Guti Romero? Romero's been playing great. He's got two goals in four games for Tottenham <laughs> right now. I think he's going to be great. He's set to be the starting center back for Argentina in 2026. But in the past, it was Otamendi. Mm-hmm. But I think age might get to him as well in the same way that Di Maria. Right. Who do they end up finding to kind of fulfill that spot? Because it's always been a very prominent role for Argentina is the center back position. Are they going to 
essentially get a downgrade in that spot, or will mm. they be able to find someone that can match up to Otamendi's status that he had at the, with the team? I think you could find a player that matches up. I, and even if it is a downgrade, I think it would be very, very minimal. Lisandro Martinez, for mm-hmm. as much yeah. you know, maybe criticism that he might get, he's an incredible one-on-one defender. And he's very good in the box with space. So I think Martinez could be an easy fix. And then if any other center back comes up that ends up shining over True. him, well, then there you go. You get an upgrade in a position you didn't really need a major one in in the first place. So, yes, I do think they'll have to figure out Otamendi, but I, I don't think it'll be detrimental to do so. Yeah. All right, so we both have Argentina topping it. Brazil? What do you just stand on Brazil and their overall outlook going into the 2026 World Cup? I mean, they had a tumultuous defeat against Croatia and penalties in a game that was just so dramatic, so crazy. Neymar goes out, but now... I mean, Neymar's happy in Saudi Arabia collecting those bags. <laughs> Hopefully, he can be healthy for the coming years. But Brazil is another team that I think is on that radar, despite of the way that 2022 ended as a World Cup contender. Ultimately, with the talent that they have at hand, yes, maybe Argentina is better than them right now. But in the next three or four years, we could see Brazil find a new form, find a new wave of momentum to get behind to lead them to their first World Cup title in over 25 years. Yeah, Brazil have to consider themselves as World Cup contenders in 2026. Their squad talent is just way, way too good. Anything other than a top two finish and comfortable qualification will be an absolute disaster when you look at yeah. just pound for pound skill that they have versus their all of their opponents. Brazil have to consider themselves as still one of the best on the continent, rivaling that of Argentina. And I think they will. I think they're going to go toe to toe, go maybe unbeaten once again. Brazil have that type of talent. What gets me though, bro, yes, one thing Neymar, like that, I, I think when Neymar is flying, Brazil's at their best. I really do think so. Is that motivation going to be there? Is his age going to get to him? I don't know. Those are all just completely speculative questions. And we'll see that as these comparable qualifications progress. But my other question is, dude, what is Brazil doing with the the, the coaching situation, man? Yeah. Uh, A full year with a caretaker manager. And then apparently Ancelotti is going to come in. Apparently. That's what he said, man. Right. But... That, that's weird, bro. That's an entire year where Fernando Giniz, the ex-Fluminense coach, I've heard really good things about actually the way that he plays football. So I think they're in good hands. But, but like, why? Yeah. yeah, why, yeah. Why, why do A this, Brazil? That that's what I'm saying. That, man? Yeah, like, this is what the USA does, bro. A year of caretaker. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. this is really strange that Brazil is going this route. I guess they're banking on the gold at the end of the road with Ancelotti, but is, is that what they want to do? I, I guess so, because that's literally what they're doing. I just, <laughs> dude, international football is so different from club too. Yeah. Who's to say that Angelou can just translate all his club football knowledge straight to the international level? It's a different game completely. And given that these guys speak a completely different language as well, yeah. I don't know if I feel as secure about the Ancelotti signing. I think it's solid. It's good that they look somewhere else outside of a Brazilian that might be, you know, a little past it, honestly. But. I have this whole take about Brazil right now, man, because if you remember uh, last season, give and go last season, dude, I picked Brazil to win the World Cup. Yeah, good I, I invested my emotions, my hopes into that team, pulling off the incredible and winning their first World Cup trophy in 20 years. By the time 2026 comes up, it'll have been 24 years since Brazil, bro. Brazil, a team that just saw their rivals, Argentina, lift the trophy Right in front of them. Mm -hmm. To disappoint 
once again on the World Cup stage. I'm fed up, dude. Like, I am yeah, fed up. And I was yeah. already feeling this way leading up to the last World Cup. I can't imagine how Brazilians must be feeling now. Like, that prominence, that dominance that they had for so long, winning five World Cups in their history. Like, it's time. It's time that you revamp that image of yourself. It's time that you remind people of what you're capable of at the biggest stage. And I just, for me, this point out, this is how I'm looking at Brazil. No more excuses. No more, bro. Mm-hmm. Because maybe it'd be a question of talent if they didn't have it. Maybe a question about coaching, but now you have Ancelotti coming in. Maybe a question of just the financial, the structure, the infrastructure in Brazil. But no, they have the best league in the Americas right now. Brazil hasn't made out for them to win the World Cup if they want it. For the next three years, bro, on this podcast, when it comes to talking about Brazil, bro, I'm going to talk about them about a, like as if they're a son that I expect more out of. Yeah, man. you're going to be harsh on them. I'm going to be a little be harsh, harsh on them because I, I want them to succeed. I want them to be great again, and I just can't take it. I can't take it, bro, if they go another World Cup cycle disappointing ultimately by flaming out in the quarterfinal stage or semifinal stage of the World Cup. I want a finals appearance minimum from this team because they have the talent to oh, do yeah, it. yeah. And I want to see Brazil back on top, bro. Sorry I got a little fed up there. I'm sorry I got a little emotional. All right? I want to... There's so much... Dude, there's so many games to be played in South America. That's what makes it really fun. Like, yeah, yeah. What if Chile actually just go off? Ecuador yeah. can't find the form that they somehow had under Alfaro. Mm-hmm. Peru use a 42-year-old Pablo Guerrero. I don't know, man. Like, Dude, the way football works, one of these teams that we've downplayed is probably going to end up playing really well. 100%. Like, that's just how it goes, man. Yeah, yeah. Especially so, since there's room for seven teams. There's a lot of variation mm-hmm. that could happen right around that seven spot. So, dude, I can't wait till we're like nine games yes. in. Nine, like the half stakes that, are high. And the stakes yeah. are a lot higher. And teams know what needs to be done. That's my, yeah. That is my favorite part about Coma Bowls. Yeah. Once we're right at that halfway point, because you can almost map out what every team needs to do to actually qualify. It'll get a little easier here since more teams get in, but it always gets so fun during yeah. that point. Yeah.